invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14. We'll be reading from verses 15 through 24. Let's read God's Word. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first say to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So far, the reading of God's word. Let us ask once again for his blessing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, O Lord of Hosts, the Lord of the House, we come before you, Lord, in the Sabbath day of the week once again to hear thy words, Lord. O Lord, do as thou hast promised to do, Lord, and give sight to the blind. Give ears to the deaf. And, O Lord, help us to see, to hear thy message, Lord. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, even tonight, compel sinners to come in. So, O Lord, we ask for your blessing upon the word. And may we be compelled in such a way that we must come. May this word become a reality for us that the psalm that we meditated and that we sang may be, become true in our lives and that we can affirm that one day in thy house is worth way more than a thousand away. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing that I enjoy here in America is the holidays especially because many of these holidays are accompanied by a nice meal. A nice meal, a nice feast with family and friends, a meal to share that we can enjoy, especially this time of the year. But for many different occasions, people come together to share a special 
time, a special meal, either birthday, an anniversary, graduation, Thanksgiving. And one thing that all these meals have in common is that usually always started with a simple invitation. And as good as those meals are, they were temporary, brief, finite. But tonight, we are going to meditate upon the most important banquet of all, the banquet of the gospel. We are going to meditate in the most important invitation of all, the invitation of the gospel. We will see how the Master, Jesus himself, shows how the gospel comes to all those who are undeserved and those who thought that had some merit were left outside, were cast outside and missed their eternal things. And we'll be looking at three points tonight, which are the three different audiences to which the Master is speaking here. First, we'll look at the old guests, and second, we'll look at the new guests, and thirdly, we'll look at the compelling servant who brings the invitation. We'll see how the gospel invitation comes to all men, and our response now is crucial. You see, in this passage, Jesus was invited to a feast. Jesus himself was invited to have a feast with the Pharisees. And he came and he was sitting at the table with them, sharing this meal with them. However, the Pharisees were making the wrong choices. The Pharisees was, were picking law as if law could save them apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. They were pursuing honor for themselves instead of honoring Jesus who are sitting with them at the table. And then Jesus starts to rebuke them about how they were being a bad leadership for the people. Two confrontations. First, regarding the Sabbath healing, verses 1 to 6. Then a parable about taking the lowest seat, verses 7 to 14, in which Jesus starts using this feast language, almost as if he was using the things that he was seeing around him to make the point that he was trying to teach them. And then the feast was going from bad to worse. And, I, and Jesus challenges even the intention that they had in inviting him, saying that if they pursue no reward for men, they should instead invite the blind, the poor, the outsiders, for God himself would make the payment from verses 12 to 14. So we have this picture here of Jesus inside this banquet, eating with the Pharisees, sitting at the table with them, challenging them, re rebuking them more and more. And it is in this unstable background that one of the Pharisees, almost as, a, as an attempt of change the subject of the conversation, says in verse 15, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You see, the affirmation itself was not wrong. He's right. Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is going to challenge is not the saying itself, but the intention behind it. It's the assumption that he himself will be part of that banquet. Jesus is going to ask a far more important question. He's going to ask, have you yourself accepted the invitation of the gospel? Have you yourself tasted of this heavenly 
reality about which you speak? And this is precisely the question that I want to ask you tonight. Have you come to the master's table? Have you tasted of this reality? So first, let us consider the old guests of this banquet. Jesus uses again language of a banquet to tell another parable. And he says in verse 16, A certain man made a great supper and invited many. So Jesus starts telling about this Lord, this Master, who made this great supper and invited many people to come, to come to taste this meal. And at that time was common to have two invitations. A first invitation, almost as an RSVP would be sent, and everybody would respond whether they wanted or not to attend that banquet. And then when the food was ready, a second invitation would come directly by a servant saying, the food is ready, it's time to come, come. The food is at the table, it's time to come. So this is the second invitation. The invitation is ready, the food is served, so come. You see, to accept the first invitation but reject the second one would be very rude. A sign of disrespect for all that the master of the house had done. All that he has prepared. A sign of disrespecting the Lord and all that he has done for the invitees. And as the discourse is going to reveal, this is not any ordinary banquet. This is the gospel banquet. This is the gospel supper that is sent to them. And so Jesus proceeds to describe the first list of guests who very well fits those with whom he was having a banquet on that day. In verse 17, the servant is sent to tell them, come, for everything is now ready. And notice how this is a command, an imperative. Come, everything is ready. You have responded first, so now it's time to come. Come. This is the same image that appears in Matthew 22 about the king who made a great feast for his son's wedding and invited many. And in Matthew 22, we have that the result of those who didn't came, those who didn't come, were cast outside into the outer darkness. So this is not any ordinary banquet. This is the most important banquet of all. This is the gospel banquet, the celestial banquet. And those who stay outside are not just going to miss a meal. They are going to miss the only hope of salvation. So here Jesus is portraying the same picture. Entering this meal is entering into salvation. And those who stay outside are bringing upon themselves great condemnation. What are their responses? We read in verses 18 to 20. The first thing that we notice is that all with one consent, all, all at once, began to make excuses. Even before Jesus tells us what they said, he already he is already telling us it's nothing but excuses. Although these reasons are going to sound legit, although they are going to sound right in themselves, they are nothing but excuses. Excuses for missing the celestial banquet. They are nothing but lame excuses, especially in light of the glorious banquet that, that was served for them. And the first man said, I have bought a field, 
and I must go and see it. I ask you, have me excused? Well, certainly this man did not buy this land without seeing it first, without knowing the land, but yet for him, his possessions were more important than attending to the banquet. The second one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I ask you, have me excused. It is also certain that this man did not buy five yoke of oxen without knowing their quality. But for him, his plans or his possessions as well were more important than attending to the celestial banquet. You see, both of these men had signs of wealth in themselves, buying land and buying five yoke of oxen, sign of abundance, rich men. And for them, their possessions, their plans were more important than attending to the gospel banquet. And the third man, he was more inventive, more creative than the first two. He said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Well, he was so, so certain that his reason, his motive was legit that he didn't say like the other ones, please have me excused. No, he simply said, I cannot come. After all, he was here evoking the Old Testament law that would free a man, a married man, a recently married man from going to war. From Deuteronomy 20, verse 7 and 24, verse 5. So he simply said, I cannot come. He didn't even ask to be excused. But it's hard to see how being married or recently married would free someone from attending to a social gathering like this or from attending to a special banquet. It's actually a good place to be. But for him, his affections, his relationship were more important than attending the celestial banquet. You see, all these were nothing but miserable excuses, especially in light of the glorious occasion that they were neglecting, was nothing but lame excuses. All these things, they sound right in themselves, but they were being used as excuses. All of them fell into the trap of thinking that other things could be more important than the gospel, than the invitation of the celestial banquet. And the image here of exchanging the eternal blessing for earthly rubbish is the same that appears in the book of the Pilgrim's Progress. When Christiana visits the house of the interpreter, it says, the interpreter brought them into a room where there was a man who couldn't look any way but down. In his hand, he held a muckrake when he stood above the man's head holding a celestial crown and he offered him that crown for his muckrake. But the man didn't look up or regarded the one holding the crown in any way. Instead, he only looked down. He only raked bits of straw, small sticks, and dust from the floor. It is to show that heaven is nothing but a fable to some people. And that things here in this world are the only things considered important, important to them. You see, these men, these men in the parable were doing the same thing. They were preferring small sticks, dust from the floor, instead of the crown that was being offered to them. The crown that was being offered to them, so close and yet so far. The same reality 
that was happening on that banquet that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. So close, so close. Jesus was sitting at the table with them. And yet so far, the crown was there. The king was there. But yet, they were neglecting. They were neglecting the call. They were neglecting the Lord. So close, but so far. And what have you been doing? Sunday after Sunday. What is your excuse? What is your modern excuse? Is it work or the weather, a headache, a football game or whatever? What is your excuse for not attending to this banquet, for not casting yourself upon the Savior? See, there can be so many excuses, so many things that in themselves they are legit. But if they are being used as an excuse for not coming to the Lord, for not coming to His banquet, it's nothing but a miserable excuse. Foolishness. It's foolish to exchange the heavenly bliss for anything else in this world. And the reason why is so desperately foolishness is shown in verse 24. Because none of those men which were invited shall taste of my supper. The celebration comes regardless of the invitee's response. You see, there is no delay. The feast is not delayed. There is not postponed. The feast is ready and is coming. There is not going to be delayed, regardless of their response. And the result then is the same as showing Matthew 22. They are left outside, cast into the outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The time to respond is now. The feast is not going to be delayed. There is no hope by staying outside. And there is no condemnation by coming inside where the master is. It is important also to notice that here is Christ who is speaking in verse 24. He is speaking directly to the Pharisees. It's not the master is speaking to the servant anymore. But Christ is speaking directly to the Pharisees. I say unto you in the plural, not singular anymore. So as if the camera shifts from the story and Jesus now look eye into eye with the Pharisees and say, I say unto you, Pharisees, none of those men will taste of my banquet. I am the Lord of the house. I am the master of the banquet. And none of those men will will taste of my banquet. I am the one who you have been neglected. And it is interesting to notice how in the Gospel of Luke, this is going to be the last time that Jesus dines with the Pharisees. You see, this is the sentence being pronounced upon them. You have neglected me for long enough. No more. I tell you, None of those men will taste of my supper. What a sentence. His celestial feast is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming and they shall be left outside, cast into the outer darkness. 
You see, those Pharisees appear to be head of the line. They were literally eating with Jesus, sitting at the table with Him. But even so, they were missing the most important thing. They didn't recognize Jesus as Lord. They were missing the most important thing of all. And they were left outside. Can you imagine what a terrible disgrace would be to arrive at the final day and discover that even being here Sunday after Sunday, you never came to this reality. You never tasted of this reality. Even sitting so close to Jesus, Jesus was never your Lord. What a terrible thing would it be to have the eyes of God fixed upon you, like the eyes of Jesus were fixed upon those Pharisees, and hearing these words, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Can you imagine... But thankfully, the text doesn't stop here. Thankfully, there is a new list, a new list of guests, a new list to send. There are new guests to partake of the Gospel Supper. So let's consider now this group in our next point. The reaction of the Master then being angry in verse 21 fits his revolt against those who neglected him. And then the banquet is not postponed. Instead, Jesus gets a new audience. Verse 21 says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. You see, Jesus gives here the same list of needy people that he mentioned in verse 13. It is a list of common and needy people who need to be taken in by the hand. People who had nothing to offer. People who couldn't bring anything in return to the Lord. But it is for those. It is for those who the Master sends now His servant and commands to come. And this is a theme that appears over and over in the Gospel of Luke, the outsiders, the strangers, the unexpected, the ones who were neglected, are brought in. And those who were, or who thought they were inside, those who thought they were head of the line, are cast out. This is what we see, for example, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man was inside, Lazarus Outside, And then at the end of the parable, we have the rich man being cast out and Lazarus being brought in. The same thing with the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the wicked husbandman, and even how this chapter is going to end with the salt that lost its savor. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but man cast it out. Jesus is over and over telling the Pharisees that they lost their savor. They lost their true love for Him, the Anointed, the Promised Messiah. And they were going to be cast 
out. But yet, those who they were neglecting, those who the Pharisees thought were strangers, oppressed, for this one, Jesus is saying, I came for them. Those who were blind, oppressed, outsiders, strangers, those who no one wanted to sit by, Jesus came for them. On the one hand, the Gospel of Luke shows us that those who were neglected are brought in. And here in this parable, Jesus is showing that what he has already said at the opening of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus showed in the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4 that the, prophet, the prophecy of Isaiah was about him. He was the one who came for these people, for these needy people, to bring in the oppressed, to set in liberty the captive. And what happened in Luke chapter 4 when he thought this? He was rejected. He was expelled from the city. They rejected him. But here, he is telling us that he will bring in those people. And for us today, this is amazing news. It's amazing news that he brings in these needy people, common and needy people. This is wonderful news because it is through this, through this reality, that the gospel comes to us today. All of us who were once strangers, Gentiles, not Jews, outsiders, strangers, through their rejection, the gospel comes to us. Needy people, outsiders. The Gentiles were not children of Abraham. They were strangers, outsiders, but they were found in their blindness. In their, in their lameness and invited to come in, to come to the banquet feast in the kingdom of God. And the offer of the gospel comes to those who are blind and poor. But this is not a physical condition. This is not a reality in the body. This is a spiritual reality. Spurgeon describes, describes it this way. There was a time when you thought you could work on out your own salvation without God's help. When you could perform good works, attend to ceremonies, and even get to heaven by yourselves. But now you are crippled. The sword of the Lord of the law has cut off your hands, and now you can work no longer. You say with bitter sorrow, the best performance of my hands dares not appear before thy throne. But you are crippled in the feet as well as in the hands. You feel that you cannot believe, that you cannot repent, that you cannot obey the stipulations of the gospel. You feel that you are utterly undone, powerless in every respect to do anything 
that can be pleasing to God. And it is in this state of spiritual lameness, spiritual bankruptcy, spiritual blindness, spiritual death, that He calls us, that He reaches us in the deepest pit of misery and bring us in. Nothing to offer. Nothing. Nothing that we could do. Nothing that we could offer in return. And it is for those to whom the gospel comes. And if the text is stopped here, you could be thinking that the gospel call indeed comes regardless of the condition of the person. But the text goes even further Further than that, if verse 21, the master says to go into the streets and lanes of the city. Verse 23, the master sent the servant even further away. Go out into the highways and hedges. And if the first list gave a specific list of people, the second one invites everyone a general calling to all men, to all ranks and condition of men. No qualification. You see, there is a far greater expansion of the invitation of the gospel to everyone and anyone. It's not restricted to the poor, but much broader than that. A preview of the, the mission to the Gentiles, the mission that would reach us here today reaching people in all directions, including us. You see, dear friend, this is an invitation to you. You could be thinking that maybe you are unworthy, that maybe you are too guilty, that maybe someone who walked in the country roads, who walked into the hedges that you did, could never come in. But you see, even that is not excuse. Even that is no excuse. On the contrary, as Spurgeon says, the sicker you are, the more you need a doctor. The hungrier you are, the more you need food. Well, the sinful you are, the more sinful you are, the more you need a Savior. The more you need Jesus Christ. That should make you desire even more to come to Him, to come to the Master. Do not wait for anything else. Do not wait for, for nothing else can be more important than this. Nothing in this entire world can be more important than this banquet that is prepared. It's not going to be postponed. It's ready. The Master is at the doors. beg you now, you must understand there is no hope for those who stayed outside. And there was no condemnation for those who were brought in. So come, cast yourself upon the master. Cast yourself upon the master of the house. 
You must understand that the kingdom will come, that the feast is ready, and the invitation is being given to you now. See that those who ask to be excused found no tomorrow for them. Those who ask to be excused found no second chance. We don't know what tomorrow holds for us. This could be your last chance. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The invitation comes to you today, today. If you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Furthermore, come also because it is a command. The master is commanding you, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Your master is commanding you to come. Remember that those who stayed outside was not because the master didn't call us, didn't call them, but because they rejected. They rejected. They condemned themselves. They chose the worldly things. They chose condemnation. So come, and let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. Revelation 19, verse 7, that is the call that we have, that the church has to make ourselves ready. The bridegroom is coming. Let us make ourselves ready. What a beautiful news. For us, this is that He has made everything. You see, He he has made all things. He's the master of the house. He issues the invitation. He prepares the food. He is the food Himself. He is the bread and the wine. All things are through Him and for Him. We bring nothing. Nothing. There was nothing we could do. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That is the reality. He is all things. There was nothing else we could do in return. All things are through him and for him. And now I would like to consider those who the Lord uses to send the invitation. Those who the Master commands to bring in those people. So I would like to speak to you directly as a church now. To you, Church of Christ, hear the command that the Master is giving you as a church to fulfill, to be compelling servants. In this final point, I want us to consider three topics of how to be faithful servants, how to fulfill the command that the Lord gave us. First, the Lord, the, the, the calling that the Lord gives us is an urgent invitation. It is an urgent invitation. Notice how the Master is commanding us as servants to go out quickly and bring them in, in verse 21. You see, if they must respond now, 
if the time to respond now. So we must go out now. We must go out quickly. If the, if the feast is not going to be, to be postponed. So we must carry His message now. We cannot wait for tomorrow to bring this call. We cannot wait for tomorrow to bring the command of the Master. Go out quickly. Haste, Church of Christ. The day is coming. The banquet is ready. The King is returning. Go out quickly and take this call to everyone. And notice how this is an action, an action of labor. Go out into the highways and hedges, hard places, to find these people, these outcasts, these strangers. It's an act of effort. It will take effort to find these people, to bring them in. It will require all of us to fulfill this task. It's not easy. But even so, we must do. Christ sent laborers into the harvest. We are laborers for the kingdom. So we must go. It will require our effort, our sweat, our tears, But we must go now, quickly. This is not just a matter of urgency regarding the time, but also regarding the seriousness of the message. It's a matter of life and death situation. Those who stay outside will never taste of the Master's banquet. Those who stay outside will face Great judgment. This is a matter of urgency because the Master is commanding us. You see, go out. Bring in. Compel them. These are all imperatives that the Master is giving us to the servants that we must fulfill. Go out, Church of Christ. Compel them. Bring them in. This is a call for His church to fulfill all imperatives that we must fulfill. And through this mission, we carry His authority. Not ours, but His authority. It's also a matter of urgency because the people do not know the host. They do not know who they are neglecting. They do not know the king. They do not know who they are neglecting, who they are mocking. So we must tell them. We must urge them because the king of kings is commanding us to carry his words. And they are in rebellion against the king, against the Lord of hosts. Oh, brothers, they must be urged because the feast is not delaying. The feast is not going to be postponed. The King of Kings is already sitting upon the throne 
from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. Second, we must fulfill this call. We must be faithful servants by speaking of which we ourselves have experienced. As Christ said to Nicodemus in John 3.11, Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen. You see, the only way that we can do this, the only way that we can fulfill this call, is if we ourselves have tasted of this reality. Is if we ourselves have known the Master. Is if we ourselves have had our eyes open to see the Lord. To taste of this spiritual reality. The only way to accomplish our missions is if we ourselves were brought in. If we have experienced the truths that we speak. Notice how the ver- verse 23 doesn't say, compel them to go in. Compel them to go in there. No, it says compel them to come. Come in. We must speak from the standpoint of which we are. Of a reality of which we have tasted. For the love of Christ constrain us. We must speak of a love that we have experienced already. Like the spies in the Old Testament. Do you remember, children, the spies in the Old Testament who entered the land? Who climbed and entered the land, a hard place. And when they came out of the land, they say, We went into the land to which you sent us. And yes, it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. That's what we must do. We have tasted the spiritual realities. We have tasted of the heavenly reality. We have tasted of the heavenly banquet. Yes, it flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Come, taste yourself as I have already done. We must have tasted ourselves And we must have experienced this because it will involve all of our being. All of us to compel them to come in. It is something that you cannot give half of your heart, but it will take all of us. It will require all of you to to fulfill this task. As the Spurgeon says, when words fail, you can give tears. For words and tears are the arms with which gospel ministers compel men to come in. You see, if they do not pray for them, you must pray for them. If they do not care for the destiny of their souls, you must care for them. If they don't cry for their situation, you must cry for them. And although they will give excuses, they will give many excuses, we must be compelling servants. If they deny the gospel, 
if they deny Jesus Christ as Lord, let it be because of their own foolishness. Let it be because they are suppressing the truth for unrighteousness and not because we neglected to take this call to every creature around us. We must be compelling servants. Third, we are under His authority and His dependence. The truth is that by our our own means, by our own efforts, we could never compel any, anyone, any man to come in. It is the Holy Spirit who opens the heart. We can call them outwardly, but it is only the Holy Spirit who will call them inwardly, who will call them in a way that they cannot reject. They can reject us. They can knock their doors in our faces. But when the Holy Spirit calls them, they cannot reject. Yes, many will reject us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, some will be compelled to come in. We are under His authority and His dependence. It is the Holy Spirit who calls them effectively in a way that they cannot resist and they will be changed and they will come in. Remember that this is not your gospel banquet. It's not my gospel banquet. It is His gospel banquet. It is Jesus Christ's gospel banquet. He is the master of the house. And what a good news that He is the one who sends us until all rooms are taken. In verse 22. So, what a good news it is that the host of the house is anxious to see His house filled. What a good news that we have such a merciful and gracious God who's willing to save sinners like you and me. What a marvelous host who is sending us. He's commissioning us. You see, we don't carry our own authority. We carry His authority. His words. His authority. And He's commissioning us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in conclusion, we can gather three applications for the three different audiences that are listed here in this text. First, it demands us to repent. This message calls us from the terrible danger of missing the opportunity to enter the kingdom as did those who gave excuses in the parable, as did the Pharisees who were sitting with Jesus and yet denying Him. 
the end of those who hold the truth for unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 1, is the wrath of God. The burning anger of the king will destroy those who reject the gospel. Repent now while there is time. Repent now while there is time. Second, it demands us to come. Regardless of our condition, and despite our limitation, the gospel demands us to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe in the promise that the Master is setting before you. The King Jesus will receive those who come to Him. And he will in no wise cast out. And it says in John 6, 37. Come to him. Cast yourself upon the throne of grace. Beg for mercy. Come to the Savior. And third, we are enabled by the King, by the Lord of the house, to go out and send his invitation. It is a gospel that sends us sinners to call others to come, to bring the good news of our Master Jesus Christ to others like you and me. So it is now our duty as faithful servants to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in by the help of the Holy Spirit that goes before us. And let me apply this in a very important way for the church today. This is the most powerful motivation to exercise hospitality in the church. Yes, hospitality. If the Lord Himself has opened His house to receive filthy sinners like you and me, how much more should we do to our peers, to others like us? How much more should we do? If He has prepared all things and has received us who could offer nothing in return, how much more should we do to others around us. The church should be marked by hospitality, should be known by its hospitality. If the Lord doesn't cast anyone out, how could we? We should be people marked by hospitality in our lives, reflecting on what the Lord has done for us. This is an urgent message that no man can enter the kingdom without an invitation, that no man can come by their own efforts, by themselves, and that all those who stay outside are bringing great condemnation upon themselves and will be cast into the outer darkness. And they are choosing, and they are choosing this. They are embracing this. They are suppressing the truth for unrighteousness. Remember that those who stay outside will not partake 
of the Gospel Supper and therefore are condemning themselves. This is an invitation that is demanding a response now. Come, for there is no hope for staying outside and there is no condemnation by coming inside where the Master is. Amen. Let us pray once again to our Lord and Master. Let's pray. O Lord our God, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. How wonderful, how tremendous, how majestic is this good news that we just read. That the gospel comes to those who are undeserving, filthy sinners. Oh Lord, we had nothing to offer in return. We could do nothing. Dead in our trespasses. But even so, thou hast reached us in the deepest pits of our lives and brought us in. So, O Lord, have mercy on us. O Lord, have mercy on those who are here tonight and have not yet tasted of this reality. O Lord, the banquet is ready. The day is coming. The King is returning. Have mercy, Lord. Open eyes to the blind. Give ears to the deaf. Bring them in, Lord. What a terrible condemnation. They are bringing upon themselves, Lord. Have mercy. And, oh Lord, for those who have already tasted of this reality, enable us to be compelling servants. Enable us to be people marked by your word, Lord. To live by your word, to preach your word, to proclaim your word to call sinners to come in. Enable us to be faithful and compelling servants. Enable us to go into the highways and hedges around us and proclaim the good news of the gospel. The King is coming. The day is coming. The feast is ready. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare your church, Lord. And, O Lord, may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. O Lord, how we long for the day that we will finally taste of this new in the kingdom of heaven when sin will be no more when afflictions will be no more, when suffering will be no more, and we will drink new in the kingdom of heaven. Haste the day, Lord. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Rescue your church, Lord. Come and prepare us for that day. For the day is coming and it's not delayed. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen.